Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Earn More Tutoring episode 60. I'm so excited today because I have an incredible guest, Tara Sumter. Um, and Tara, I learned I first learned about Tara because I heard about her from actually one of the participants in my Executive Function Coaching Academy. And they were just saying how impressed they were with what she'd done in terms of teaching about executive function, executive functioning from the, the lens of a speech language pathologist. And so as I started to learn more about Tara's work, I was so impressed by the community she's created, by her clinic in Cleveland. That's right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Cleveland. Outside of Cleveland. Um, yeah. Seeds of Learning. And also just the, the following and information that she's created on, on social media. So uh, welcome to the show, Tara. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Great. And so, you know, the, the, the mission of Earn More Tutoring is to eradicate educator poverty. We're out here trying to help educators realize that they have so many gifts and that they don't necessarily have to constrain themselves to one particular preordained path in education. And, you know, I know uh, speech language pathology goes beyond education in a way. Um, it's also a health health related field, but I think mm-hmm. there's it's a, a medically lot of, based field too. Yeah, mm-hmm. medically based. But but I think that there's a lot of uh, intersections where educators, if they're speech language pathologists listening, educational therapists, they'll probably be able to learn a lot from your story. So why don't we start out, um, Tara, why don't you tell us what you do in your own words? Okay, that's a loaded question. Where do I start? Um, yeah, I'm a speech language pathologist, but I do specialize in executive functioning. Um, and we really specialize in executive functioning and its role in speech language and literacy development, which ends up you know, creating the foundation for all academic learning. Um, and so we really end up addressing a lot of um, aspects within learning in general that children face you know, from preschool all the way through college. So in short, that's what we do. Like you'd mentioned, I have a private practice. We have two office locations outside of Cleveland, Ohio. Um, And then I do a lot of presenting nationally and internationally, um, teaching people about the importance of executive functioning and how it's so incredibly foundational to all of our early learning, learning from the time that we're born. Um, It really is is critical to how a child connects with their environment um, and how information gets processed um, is sort of implicitly. You know, a lot of our early learning is very implicit in nature. So uh, it's important that we have a strong connection through our executive functioning system to our environment and to others in it. Absolutely. Yeah, I definitely, you know, as you, as you were talking, and I, I've known how invested you are in kind of educating people on executive mm-hmm. function skills, I wanted to ask, like, what was your wake up? to the importance of executive functioning skills? Oh, that's such a good question. I don't know if anybody's asked me it quite that way before. Um, I love that. My awakening, I would say really was, well, I had a cut, there were a couple of aha moments for me. The first was probably in graduate school when we were learning about language development. And I always felt like there were some pieces to how it was being presented, like language development in in childhood, um, that just didn't make sense. It, it just, to me, it, it, there were just holes like there. Were, and so I couldn't quite, um, I didn't know at the time what it was that I was missing, but I knew something didn't fit. It just didn't make sense. And then once I got out and started practicing um, as a practicing clinician, then that's when I really saw uh, that as I was trying to do my job as a speech language pathologist, that I couldn't with some of my students, I couldn't get the information in 
to their central nervous system. It was like there was this just wall that I couldn't get the information in. And so here I was trying to present all of this content, right? But the child wasn't connecting with their environment. And so that was really my, my biggest aha moment was when I was working as a therapist. And at that point, it was pretty early in my career, really the fir- probably the first year out, um, that I started diving into the fields of cognitive psychology, neuroscience, to really figure out what was going on. Um, and the first time I went to a big seminar on executive functioning, I was like, ah, here's what I've been missing. And that for me started, you know, a decade, decade and a half long journey down this massive rabbit hole of research. Um, and, and then synthesizing, I, and I always say, I, I eat and read research for breakfast. It's what I do when I drink my coffee in the morning. It's, it's an illness and my husband thinks I'm nuts. But, um, but I'm constantly reading research and then taking it back into clinical practice and trying to implement it. Um, and so, you know, it just, I, I guess to step back a little bit, you know, in, and for this is particular for a speech language pathologist, executive function gets talked about, at least in our training, predominantly in terms of TBI, which is traumatic brain injury. So in the context of adults, usually. So we think about the damage that's done to the frontal lobe with concussions and traumatic brain injury. And that's the context in which we learn about executive functioning. I never was trained. The majority of people that I speak to tell me how um, they never were talked about or they were never experienced someone talking about executive functioning in relation to child development from birth on, right? It was always seen as an adult um, type, of, type of skill. Yeah. So kind of what I'm hearing, and, and I'd love for you to kind of elaborate on what I'm, I'm saying or, or clarify, but where we, we're usually hearing about executive function skills is like if someone's in a car crash or let's say some type of situation where they have damage to their frontal lobe. Yep. And they, they lose the ability to maybe uh, sequentially process or, you know, go through a series of steps. But yeah. what you're, you're kind of trying to advocate for is it's that, but it's also, it can be fostered and supported in the development of a child. Um, and tell me more about that, you know, cause I know you're coming from kind of like a language basis. What's the connection between the development of executive function skills and language? So great question. So executive functioning, really what it is when we think about the system, it's, it's a multi-layered system. It's an extremely complex system that develops over the course of, you know, a solid 25 um, for people who are delayed in executive functioning. Sometimes the, the development continues into early 30s. So this is a very long, long process of development that starts right away when a child is born. And all you have to do is observe a baby and you see them taking everything in their environment in. Babies actually have really great attention. And their attention to their environment is how they learn imitation, the ability to imitate. And babies start imitating very, very early, um, weeks, right? And so, um, you know, gesturally and vocally, they start imitating very, very early. Imitation becomes the skill that we see and can measure that the executive functioning system is doing what it needs to be doing in the way of 
perceiving the environment, right? So perception. Am I aware of my environment? Am I aware of the people and objects in my environment? Am I aware of myself? Am I aware of my actions, my thoughts, my feelings, my perceptions, all of those things? So that's really the first step is, am I aware of these different things in my environment? And this is critical to development because if you take a child um, and we, we think about language development, right? Most children don't need explicit instruction in language. Most children just learn it through osmosis, right? Like they're just in their environment and they soak it in. And it's just this incredible, credible aspect of development to watch happen, right? It's like, how did they, how did, where did they hear that? How did they come up with that? How did they generate that? And what's happening is that the child is implicitly learning from all the stimuli in their environment. But the implicit learning can only take place if the child perceives their environment, can self-direct their attention, so monitor where their attention is going, and then sustain attention long enough for the information to come in. That's really the, the foundation. Now, we could talk about working memory and working memory's role in that as well, because working memory is also part of the executive function system, and it's a really critical component. Um, and that has to be strong enough to be able to hold on to the information long enough for other parts of speech and language processing to actually do the processing. But, but all the learning starts with this fundamental nature of do I perceive my environment? Can I focus to it? Can I sustain attention to it? And can my brain hold on to the information long enough for the workers, I call them the worker bees, like the workers, the doers in the brain to be able to process the information. And when there's a breakdown within that foundation, perception, focus, sustained attention, working memory, we see huge gaps in various aspects of language. Wow. Yeah, that's a, such an excellent explanation of kind of the burgeoning nature of the executive function system. Now, I've got a curveball for you here. Uh -oh. which how do you... <laughs> You know, it seems from my vantage point that social media has been designed to actually intercept our executive function system and like redirect it momentarily, right? You know, it's like it catches our attention with all this stimuli. And um, I'm curious how you, you know, how do you balance that, you know, with, you know, wanting to improve people's executive function, but at the same time, wanting to deliver them valuable content? Um, it's like, you're like, almost like, uh, the Che Guevara in social media, like, you know, revolutionary, like, all right, I'm not going to distract you. I'm actually going to strengthen your expertise or, you know, executive function skills. But I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Well, I think we could look at this from the standpoint of technology in general, right? Um, and we could start by talking about screens and how screens impact, uh, learning. And we know that it's significant, right? Um, and, and what is it that screens are replacing within development of a child? So screens are replacing play, which play is critical for sensory integration, the reduction of primitive reflexes in the brain, which all becomes a foundation for our executive functioning system, which is the children, um, they problem solve. Uh, Alison Gopnik, who is a psychologist and philosopher, she's written an amazing book called um, The Philosophical Baby, where she talks about that in her book, how babies are um, run more experiments every day in play 
than the most reputable scientists. And I highly recommend the book. It's really fantastic. And, um, but, but the ideas that play provides that opportunity to be able to be problem solving and learning the cause and effect along with all of the sensory stimulation. The other thing that, that play does um, in various aspects of development is that it really strengthens what's called our nonverbal working memory. And our nonverbal working memory is essentially our imagination. It's our brain's ability to create an internal map of the external world. And so what's happening when we put a screen in front of a child is that now, instead of the child developing an internal map from a three-dimensional object where they're getting all of the sensory input, what does it feel like? What's the texture? How big is it? Right? What's, um, how hard is it? All of those bits of sensory information become really, really critical to how the brain develops an internal map for learning. Now the child's learning from a two-dimensional representation of the object itself. So it's like a, this half step that they're creating mental representations based off of a representation of the actual object. And there's information lost in translation, right? So um, the screens in and of themselves become very problematic for multiple reasons. How that translates into adults, um, I think we could talk about how social media and technology, um, you know, we, there's, we're decreasing the need to delay gratification, which delaying gratification is inhibition, which is an executive functioning skills, I'm sure you know. Mm -hmm. So that inhibition, being able to wait, right? I actually put a, uh, I put a video real on my um, Instagram, oh, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago or maybe longer, I don't know. Um, but it was of a, a plane. I had taken a video of the clouds from a flight that I was on. And uh, I asked people, how long can you, can you wait till the end of the video? and just simply watch the clouds. And the responses were fabulous. They were really, really interesting because people talked about how, wow, normally I would have just kept scrolling. Because what we're looking for is that instant delayed gratification, or instant gratification, not being able to delay the gratification. And then at the end, I said, you know, the real, if you were able to hang out and stay here the whole time, like post an emoji. And that, so that provided the reward of somebody being able to say like, yes, I did it. Um, but they had to delay that. There was this like um, need to inhibit, right? A desire to delay the gratification. All of those skills become critical to how we achieve all aspects of success in our lives. Any kind of goal-oriented uh, directive, any kind of um, goal-oriented you know, direction towards uh, a desire, whether that be family, whether that be career, requires us to inhibit the now in order to reach what we want in the future, mm -hmm. right? So in a big way, we see this is with exercise and weight loss, right? That's so hard because right now I want the cookie and the payoff for not eating the cookie you know, is going to be a lot further down the road. So when we decrease someone's ability to delay gratification, then we set them up with their only functioning in the now. And they can't see far enough into the future and, and restrain themselves for 
um, a future goal. And all of that really plays into, those are some of the big executive functioning skills we work on with you know, middle school, high school, college age students, um, being able to see the future, what are these goals and how do we make decisions now that lead us to those goals in the future. But most of the time when we're looking at um, a future directed goal of some kind, there's inhibition that has to take place now, right? Mm -hmm. In order to achieve that. Because otherwise we'd just be focusing like stimulus response constantly um, pinging from one thing to the next instead of saying, nope, I'm not going to uh, scroll right now because I'm focused on working on a book whatever, mm -hmm. whatever it is. Yeah. I call it doom scrolling when you're just scrolling <laughs> through social media aimlessly, you know, from one stimuli to the next. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you ask me about social media because I mean, I do have a regularly or a rel regularly, a relatively large following, but I don't spend a lot of time on social media <clears throat> and I don't do a lot of interacting with other accounts on social media. Um, because for me, I'm, I'm very mindful of where my energy and my time goes. I'm highly distracted, like distractible. Um, inhibition is not my strong suit at all uh, in terms of my executive functioning system. So I've had to learn over the years, like where can I put my attention and where should I not? Because I'll lose massive amounts of time if I'm not careful. Yeah, no, uh, it's it's that that's good that you've kind of developed the executive function skills to manage it and inhibit, you know, mm -hmm. the doom scrolling. Tell us about the journey to growing your social media to the size it is now. Like, you know, I mean, and I know it's not all about the size, it's more about the engagement, but I know that yeah. there's a high level of engagement on your, your Instagram account. You know, I can see people really getting value from it, learning from it. It doesn't seem like a passive audience. It seems like a very engaged yeah. audience. So tell yes. us about, about growing that engaged audience and, and, you know, what advice would you have for someone who's knows they have a lot of, you know, knowledge and expertise to offer, but isn't good with social media or doesn't know what to do? Yeah. Okay. So, um, and I always, I think this is hilarious that you're asking me this question because I, I am not a techie person at all. Um, I'm not really a social media person either. Um, so it's funny that how I've ended up here. But I would say, um, how did I grow it? It really was, I was saying something different, right? What I was sharing was um, looking at child development and academic learning in a way that a lot of people, it was a conversation that wasn't being had um, on social media as far as I could see. And so I think that piqued people's interest for one. Um, I'm also not afraid of having hard conversations. I, I'm not afraid of, um, you know, I don't want to offend people, but I'm not afraid to stand very firm in what I believe and uh, my experiences and what I've read and learned over the years. So I'm willing to engage in hard conversations. I'm willing to, um, you know, I'm willing to really have have the hard conversations. I guess that's the best way to say it. Um, I, I don't shy away from maybe conversations that people don't tend to want to have because they're afraid of offending people. Um, I'm I, That brings me to kind of my next point about social media is I think it's really important to be authentic. People, I think people feel like they know me because I'm myself. 
and they know where I stand on things. They know how I feel. I'm not, I'm willing to say, you know, we're getting it wrong over here. <laughs> Our field is getting it wrong. And um, we need to be looking in other directions. I'm not afraid, you know, I'm not trying to please everybody. I know there are a lot of people who I'm sure don't like my work and that's fine, I'm not for them. Um, so I, being authentic is really, really important. If your goal is for everyone to like you, don't be on social media. Um, so that's, that's really, I mean, you do have to have, I don't like the, I don't like the term like thick skin because it's not that you have to fix skin on social media, but you have to you have to know how to take the criticism and then get rid of it. Sort of, Brene Brown calls it shame resiliency, which I love. What's um, an example of of something where you brought up or addressed a topic that was polarizing, where you took a stance that maybe you got some difficult feedback or things that you know? I'm curious. Yeah. So. I would say like literacy is a topic that tends to be very heavily emotionally fueled. Um, and so my, when I talk about literacy, I talk about the importance of executive functioning and its role in literacy. And that can sometimes really jar people because it's a new way of looking at it. Um, you know, people, educators spend a lot of time getting educated in programs and curriculums um, but that's very different than being educated in the science and the neuroscience behind something, right? Um, a curriculum and a program, their company is trying to make money. So they always have an angle to what they're doing. Um, a great podcast on that actually is called Soul to Story. Have you heard of this? I haven't, no. Yeah, you should check it out. It's really Okay, good to know. It kind of breaks. Tell us a little, give us the synopsis. Um, so that she's an educator. Oh, I can't remember her name. I can look it up. Um, but she's the woman who um, put together the podcast. It's six episodes. Um, it is, she's an education reporter and she's been reporting, uh, educate, I'm sorry. She's been researching uh, literacy and um, just how literacy is taught in education for a really, really long time. And it's basically about curriculums and how curriculums get steam and how companies push agendas um, based on a program or a curriculum when the science behind it is, is pretty weak, but it becomes money driven, money fueled. It's mm -hmm. a really, really fascinating podcast for people who are interested in literacy. It shines a light on some very great topics. Right. Yeah. And, and that makes sense because, you know, as you go through public education, there's so much indoctrination to like, this is the way things should go. And, you know, every yeah. the whole administration's on board. And if you say, well, actually it's, you know, what I'm learning is that, uh, you know, it's better actually for kids to develop self-regulation skills so they can learn math and, and uh, you know, reading rather than just focusing on math and reading. Right. Like, what? what are you talking about? You know, um, so, yeah. so that's, that's really, okay. So what I'm hearing you say kind of is that first off, it, it sounds like it's, it stems from, your ability to steep yourself in the research and then challenge these social norms or educational norms um, and put that out there into social media to kind of like jolt people a little bit is, is a way to start, you know, I've, I've heard people talk about like polarizing your audience in the sense that you want to attract people who are going to be interested in it and want to learn from it and kind of repel people who are like, Oh, I can't, I can't deal with that. Or, you know, it's yeah, not for me. For sure. I mean, again, you, 
I believe that especially, you know, because this podcast is for people who might be interested in starting a business or something outside of, you know, their normal, um, you know, whatever, outside of a teaching career or what, or what have you. But um, I right. think as a business owner, because I have several, several businesses, and it's so important to know who your audience is. And when, when you're yourself, um, when you are authentic, right, in your presentation, you're going to attract your audience. Um, it's funny when I first, I've been presenting my material to organizations and school districts for um, a very long time now. And at first, when I first started presenting, you know, I would tell my husband, like, I'm trying to reach everybody. And my husband gave me the best advice. He said, you're not trying to reach everybody. You're not going to. Not everybody in that room is there to be your audience today. You have to find the people who are your audience, and those are the people that you invest in because they're the ones who are going to make a difference in the lives of children, right? Mm -hmm. And I was like, he said, you're wasting your energy by trying to rope in people who just aren't interested. I was like, that's right. great. It's like, that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, no, good partner. Shout out to the, the Seagos. I call them significant others. Um, yeah. They're so well, helpful on the journey. <laughs> they really are. And I'm so thankful because um, my husband spent his career in finance. And then this past summer, um, he left corporate America altogether to join my business. So we're now an officially a family owned business. And he helps me with all the business stuff. And which is not my favorite part. Again, like, my happy place is with my nose in a book <laughs> yeah. or, in a, or in a therapy session or with teaching other people. It's, it's not the business or the finance or, you know, so I can yeah. offload that to him. But yeah, Congrats. it's really Congrats. Cool. And that's probably you. his favorite part. So it's like, yeah, I always, yeah. I always talk about, um, especially with neurodivergent in individuals playing to your strengths. Like one of my yeah. friends, Aaron, um, he sent me this article and he said, you don't, it was all about the idea that you don't have to be good at everything. You have to just be really good at one thing. Yep. And then you're going to be the point person or, you know, the kind of focal point for information on that one thing. But if you try to do everything, you won't be necessarily attractive for anything. Um, yep. So it's, it's, it's good to remember, like you could just be good at really, really, really good at one thing, a specialist. Um, I, so. agree, I agree with that 100%. And that's something with particularly our high school and college students, it's helping them discover that. That's a big part of our work with them is helping them figure out what is it that you really love? What is it that you really want to learn more about? What lights you on fire, right? What are you passionate about? Because um, particularly when, you know, for our ADHD folks, um, that you know, we need to love what we're doing. We can hyper-focus on it, right? That's where all of our attention goes. And we may struggle more with non-preferred activities. But if we can pigeonhole ourselves in a way in terms of a career and a path, that's something we love, then it really plays to our strengths, like you were saying. Yeah. So thank you for, for sharing that. And also one of my favorite like quotes, I kind of like live off like little rhyming quotes. They help me guide my journey as they said, the riches are in the niches. And oh, I that like really that. stuck out to me because, you know, at first I was like, man, when I create, I created my course, become an online executive function specialist. And I was like, man, that is so specific. Is anyone going to show up for this? Like, am I going to be able to find anyone? But like the craziest thing happened when I created that course and I created the landing page and describe what you get from it and everything. I was like, I don't know, but you know, it wasn't out there when I was trying to become an executive function coach. So let's see. And 
Google immediately put it as the snippet, like the, 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 like, do you want, if someone types in, how do I become an executive function coach? I broke it down into steps and it became the snippet. And it's like, I just get all this organic traffic, but I, you know, I didn't, I didn't anticipate that at all. I only created that to teach people who wanted to apply to work for me, but it ended up mm. being this magnet. So I guess, you know, the, the idea there is don't be afraid to get really specific. I guess there's probably probably like a, a point of diminishing returns. If you're like, I'm a juggling garden expert, like, <laughs> not be, you know, the, the, the best, uh, you know, point of, or kind of way to niche down. But I, yeah. I think that's, I mean, I think that's really true. And in my field of speech language pathology, it's so funny because last night in my um, online educational community, I actually did a two hour office hour with everybody. And all I talked about was business. They were really curious about my path to private practice and um, how I developed my private practice, how I've structured it, advice I would give from 12 years running a private practice, um, which because there have been a lot of lessons and they're not all fun being in business. But that was one of the things, you know, we talk about it in my field in private practice a lot is how a niche really does help. Um, you know, I'm here in the Cleveland area. I'm, I guess you could say competitors. I don't really think of people as I prefer to think of people as collaborators as opposed to competitors. But, um, you know, I have the Cleveland Clinic in my backyard. We have another very large um, hospital organization as well that Cleveland Clinic would see as their competitor, University Hospitals. I can't compete with those organizations. Um, but, you know, I have created for myself, not intentionally to compete with anybody, but simply because it was what my interest was. But I've created a niche for myself in the way of executive functioning and its role in child development and child learning. And so now our number one referral source is the Cleveland Clinic because right. nobody else does it. So um, yeah, I think having a niche is, can be very, very beneficial when it comes to business. Yeah. So, okay. So what I'm hearing, you know, for people listening or maybe we're just jumping in and reminder, anybody who's listening out there, um, feel free to drop a comment or a question into the chat box. We may be able to uh, answer it or Tara can answer it for you while we're, we're live streaming this. But what I'm hearing is one, you've got to be knowledgeable about your subject. Two, mm -hmm. you, you have to not be afraid to share your expertise, which might challenge some norms in your field yeah. or in the mm -hmm. larger field. Three, it's okay to niche down. What are, what's, you know, as you know, I kind of want to know more about the technical or I guess the kind of like process of building your following on social media. So obviously okay. you want to have those things, but how do you be consistent about it when, you know, I know you're a mother of three, you've got three businesses, married, you know, all these different things. How do you find the time and the process to continually be present for your audience on social media in addition to being present in all those other endeavors? Yeah, well, that's a good question. And I would say as a mother of three, the biggest thing I have learned is that there's no such thing as balance. Something always gives, right? The more time that I spend with my family. Oh, here we go. Look at that. We've got a special guys. I'm going to, I'm going to, Aliana, you got to, you got to, you got to go. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. This is live for you. This is for real live. Um, I love it. Oh, it's so good. Um, oh, yeah. You still have a little one. Yes, I got is... two little ones in the house, and they're both homesick, but Grandma is here uh... helping out. So that was not staged or scripted. <laughs> I'm going to close the door. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Oh, it's so funny. 
I mean, that was COVID, right? When we were home all the time with COVID, like you never knew what you were going to see in the background. It's so true. Yes. No, that's that's a classic. Uh, that's I perfect. But I sorry, so you were home, saying yes. I have so two you, kids homesick today too. I have three girls, but my oldest too. I have a 13. She's almost 14. And then yeah. um, and then 12-year-old. And then I have a nine-year-old. So um, I have two girls. So we have five together. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know. It's a lot of estrogen. It It is definitely... <laughs> It's a lot. It's a lot. Um, Okay. So how do I do it all? I I think the first thing is to remember that there really is no such thing as balance. I think we've like thrown out this idea, this like toxic positivity of like, you can do it all. You can have it all. I mean, you can have it all, but something always gives, right? When I'm at work late, my, I don't see my children quite as much or, you know, so something there's never this equal balance. And I had to give up looking for that equal balance and let it go as a mother I mean, mom guilt's like all over the place. Um, And so I had to let go of a lot of that to be able to just continue with what I wanted to do in terms of my career and also feel like I'm showing up as a mom as much as um, I do. How am I consistent with social media? I'll be honest with you. I, I find the process of my, of Instagram um, to be very creative and I like that. So for me, it's, fun. I like, it feels challenging. So I like, I actually enjoy creating the graphics. So I don't have a team. I have, I am, I am me on social media. People are always shocked because a lot of the big accounts have teams that create graphics and that, you know, post it and interact and know how to do all the fancy stuff. I don't have any of that. It's literally me with my coffee cup with underneath my Askin and like (laughs) in my big cozy chair. And that's me. Um, on social media. So, you know, I think, I think I enjoy it. So that's one thing. I like the creative process and, um, I fit it in. Usually it's, a, I do it a lot in the morning when I first get up. <clears throat> so I have a routine as to when I develop it. I don't really have a system. I would say, you know, I know some people like plan it out and they have a schedule of when they post things. I'll be honest, I wake up in the morning and I think to myself, what's really resonating with me today? Mm. What is it? And I just throw it out there. Um, Sometimes I get more creative with the graphics if I have more time. Other times, my post today was, um, it was just, I use a pink background, which I think consistency within your uh, posting has been helpful for me because when people see how I've formatted my post, they know it's me. So I think that sort of recognition, um, brand recognition is helpful. Um, But today it was just, what did I say? I said, um, you know, addressing speech and language without executive functioning is like trying to wash the dishes without water. You Mm -hmm. can do it, but it's not as effective. And and that was it. And it was simply a thought that I had. And I just started and then I wrote a caption about it. And that was it. And I was done. 15 minutes, 20 minutes. And and then I just keep it routine every day um, as to when I, you know, when I post. Um, yeah, that's I don't great. Know. Yeah, there's I'm no, ma- there's no magic. I mean, the magic is being consistent. Yeah, and yeah. the magic is being um, is being authentic. Yeah, you know, and also sounds like being like I think where I get kind of hung up sometimes is feeling like I have to like create this amazing production and I have to have like all the right images. And it's like, it sounds like just showing up. Yeah. You know, 
and being there every day or, you know, five yep. days a week or whatever, that is the, the magic, right? It's it like, really is. Yeah. That's really, really refreshing. And, yeah. And having, I think having good content is really important. You have to, you have to add value to the lives of the people that have chosen to be there with you. Um, and so for me, it's, it's how can I, how can I take what I've learned over the years and provide it to people for free, right? How can I educate? Like, if you notice when you go on my feed, I don't tend to on my feed post anything personal. Every once in a while I will, but it's pretty rare. Um, I, I want someone to be able to go to my Instagram feed and get a whole bunch of um, executive functioning education in, mm -hmm. in one spot. Um, if people enjoy it, want to get to know me, that's what my story is for. And you'll get to see my kids and my, you know, all the stuff. Um, but the, but the feed itself, I keep it strictly educational because I, I, I value education so much. And my goal with my career is to be able to help as many people as possible, see the importance of executive functioning in all aspects of child development. Um, so it's just sharing that over and over and over again, and sometimes making a fun reel. I don't do too many. I did for a little while and they were kind of fun. And then I was like, they, they took too much time. They took a lot of time that I didn't have. So I've had to figure out what can I put out? What content can I put out consistently that works with my life? Um, because I do have my hands in a lot and you know, there's a lot of projects always. So it has to feel manageable. Yeah. So now that's making me think about the idea. Yeah. you making it, simplifying it, being authentic, just, you know, not trying to overcomplicate it. And then, mm -hmm. and then just, you know, being consistent. How long do you think it takes to start actually seeing like a real following? You know what I mean? What I mean real is not necessarily yeah. numbers, but like people engaging and like, okay, there's actually someone looking at this rather than me just talking into my phone. I'm curious, you know, what, what your thoughts How are. How long? Hmm. Yeah. I I don't really know. I think you have to create content that people want to share. So mm -hmm. that's really important because that's how you get in front of other people's audiences, right? Is that people want to share what it is that you're having to say. Um, I didn't start my Instagram until COVID. So I didn't have Instagram. I mean, I had a personal Instagram, but I never used it. Um, I have, you know, I was more on Facebook, I guess. So, so my grandma could see pictures of my kids. And, you know, again, not huge on social media. Um, but once I was, once we were kind of locked down, I was missing the regular social interaction that I was having, you know, with my staff and um, with friends and that kind of thing. So I, I gravitated. I, I started Instagram. My kids taught me how to use it. My teenagers taught me how to use it, um, helped me set up my account. And I just started... I just started sharing um, and I just started sharing what I was doing and it just, um, it just kind of exploded. I would say I've had a couple of posts that went viral and that really exploded my followers. So I think that was very helpful. Um, but I had, you know, for the first year, how many years has it been now? A couple years, the first year, I mean, it was steady organic growth. I think I had hit like 10,000 followers within the first year. Um, but it was simply just organically sharing what I was doing and how it was new. Right. 
and not being afraid to ruffle some feathers. I I'd thought of after you asked me the question of like, what was something that I say that ruffles people's feathers? There is one really big thing in my field um, that I stand to. <laughs> He's like, give it to me. What is it? Um, so in the speech and language world, there's a framework that we, we break language down into. It's very old. It's like, why are we still quoting this very old research? I don't know. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that's funneled under language is what we call pragmatics, which is social communication. It's yeah. how we socially interact, right? And social interaction, social communication, pragmatics is not language. Language is a tool that we sometimes, not even the majority of the time, because most of our interaction is nonverbal, but some of the time we use language as a tool for our social interaction. But difficulty with pragmatics, when children are having difficulty with peers and peer relationships, this is because there's a breakdown in executive functioning. They're not perceiving the peer. They're not sustaining attention to the peer and the peer's interests. Um, they may have difficulty inhibiting themselves. So the child and the peer are going down the slide, but the child wants to keep going down the slide. So they don't inhibit long enough to let the friend take a turn, right? They're not self-monitoring to say like, oh, my friend wants to take a turn. And I didn't, I, I didn't let them take a turn. I didn't inhibit. And so therefore I need to say, I'm sorry. And I need to self-correct that. That's how we maintain relationships, right? Self-monitoring, self-correction, self-evaluation, all, all of that is executive functioning. When I talk about that, people in my field are like, <laughs> because it's, it's very different from, from what we're taught. Yeah. Cause right. Cause they're probably saying, Oh, if you just teach them this phrase or, you know, you teach them how to talk this way, then it's going to fix things. But it's like, no, it's everything under the surface. That's right. Like all these different kind of like, yeah, behaviors, not behaviors, well, I guess, but, you know, pro a process. Process. Yeah. And when you think about what the executive functioning system does, so the executive functioning system acts like a cure. So it's the system that's cueing the workers to do their job. Right. You could think of it like um, um, like a director of a play. Okay, so when you go to see a play, what you're judging are the actors. And Tom Hanks, as great of an actor as he is, he might look terrible in this play. He might be coming in at an odd time. He might be saying something in a strange way. So it might be that he's a bad actor. Or it's that the director who's behind the scenes, behind the man behind the curtain, right? The one behind the scenes gave poor cueing, mm -hmm. told him to come in at the wrong time, told him to say it a certain way and didn't execute, um, the, the, the director didn't give the proper execution cues. So when we talk about this in the context of pragmatics, right? But, but, but here's the, the important part about executive functioning is that what we assess and what we judge are the actors. Right. We say Tom Hanks didn't do a good job and so-and-so didn't look good on stage, right? Because that's what we measure. When we give standardized testing, that's what we measure. We measure the doers, mm -hmm. the performers. We don't have very good tools to measure the cure. Mm. And so 
Um, and all of the big name researchers in the field of executive functioning will tell you that standardized assessment is not only the worst way to uh, assess executive functioning. Russell Barkley goes as far to say it's negligent, mm. which is pretty powerful. Wow. So, yeah. So here we have, you know, this idea of um, this cure. So what does this look like for pragmatic development in children? Well, we can teach the worker, the doer, the performer, the actor, we can teach them the script and they can spit it off. But does the cure cue them to use it at recess? Does the cure cue them to use it with this in this situation differently when they're in the classroom, right? Or if they're in the library, or if they're at soccer, like all of these different settings, the cure has to be the one that cues the performer, the all actor, right. the doer. And so <clears throat> again, we see this in my field, we see this all the time because we get, we work on pragmatics a lot. And, um, you know, we'll work on script after script. This is what we say. We say, you know, good morning, you know, goodbye. You know, all these scripts, that's not the problem. The children can learn the scripts. The issue becomes, can they cue themselves to use them appropriately, although I don't love the word appropriate, but in a situation for the goal the child wants. If the child wants to make friends, then they have to be perceiving, we're back to perception, perceiving, focusing, sustaining attention to the peers to see when to cue different communication uh, initiations, right? Right. So, yeah. Wow. And that just makes me think about how it must be so hard for kids with autism because they're missing a lot of those cues often, potentially. Yes. Whereas, you know, so it's like you're not just teaching the language, you're teaching how do you pick up on the nonverbal language, on the, the very nuanced cues, which even yes. me as a as an adult, I probably miss a lot of cues. I, my wife would tell you that I miss cues all the time. Um, so, so it's a, it's a very it's a very um, kind of different way. Excuse me, different way of thinking about how to teach development and better executive function skills is kind of looking at the director or the the source rather than all the different external displays of. Yeah, and that's the skills. system. That's yeah. the system. That's the cognitive system of executive functioning. So, um, you know, everything I do in terms of therapy and the therapy framework that I have developed, it's all about how do we um, improve, scaffold, strengthen the system, the processing system, because executive functioning in its most simplified um, definition, Russell Barkley, again, he's, he calls it self-direction, self-direction for a future goal. That's what he mm -hmm. defines executive functioning as. And, but again, self-direction is from the inside out. Mm -hmm. So if all we're doing is providing external cues and external tools, that's still not self-direction. Mm -hmm. Self-direction has to be coming from the inside out saying, what is the goal? What do I need to be doing? What are the cues that I need to be looking for? What are the directives that I need to give my brain in order to reach these goals, right? Um, you know, we're, in my field, we love to do, and we do too here at Seeds of Learning, um, we love to do visual schedules, right, for kiddos. Um, if they can read, we might use words. If they can't read, we might use pictures, you know, get re getting ready for the day looks like 
this, you know, brushing the teeth and having breakfast, putting my clothes, whatever it is. But it's really important that that visual schedule becomes internalized. That we help take that visual schedule and create an internal map so that the child drives the execution of the routine from the inside out. Hmm. If the picture schedule is always right there and it's never internalized and we, we're not self-cueing from a mental representation from this internal map that we've created in our nonverbal working memory, then what we have is we have a child who constantly needs a reminder, look at your, look at your visual schedule, look at your mm-hmm. visual schedule, right? That's external cueing. Yeah. And executive functioning is inside out, self-direction. Mm-hmm. How do I do it from the inside out? Yeah. So that's really powerful to think, you know, kind of flip the idea of how to teach executive functioning on its head, kind of communicate mm-hmm. another way. And so by sharing those ideas via Instagram, you're kind of attracting people who are like, oh my God, I was thinking of it totally wrong. Or, you know, parents are like, oh, they they were just focused on external supports rather than trying to teach the internal stuff. Right. So my wonder for you is how do you take, you know, because I feel like social media is is kind of the external of actually the courses that you teach or the clinic or how do you how do you get people from social media to take the next step in the customer relationship journey to learning more about, you know, going doing the real work of kind of, you know, skipping going from 15 second videos to actually like a course or, you know, whatever you're teaching about? Yeah, um, I believe wholeheartedly that if my Instagram provides value, people will ask me where they can find more. And that's what happens. People, I I have links to the book that I've published um, that has been sold in, I don't even know. I mean, last time I counted, it was like 30 to 40 countries. I mean, it's it's insane how it blew up. Um, And, you know, I have links to that. I have links to my online educational network where there's tons of self-study courses and material and all my resources and gosh, 80 to 90 hours of office hour recordings. Um, So I have links to all of that. And so when people ask, or if they come to my profile and they get curious, you know, they'll go to my bio and, you know, start poking around and they'll see that I have other resources. Every once in a while, I will refer to something that I have, but I'm not out there selling um, because I think it turns people off. And ultimately, that's not, um, you know, that's not my, my main goal is not to be this billboard selling information. It's creating value. And when you give people value, they look for more. They want to learn more from you. I mean, people look at me and say, wow, you, you know a lot about this. I want to learn more about your therapy. Um, And so then they like, what other resources do you have? And then I'll say, you can go look at my bio or here's some other places that you could look. Yeah. So focusing on delivering value. Yeah. Yeah. And then that naturally just creates curiosity. And I think a lot of educators out there, when they start this journey of trying to build their businesses, you know, because they need clients to, you know, make the transition, they really focus on like, come be a client. But that's the hard part, you know, even though it it makes sense, you need clients, you need, you need to be paid for your services. So that's a real tough leap from going to like, kids have to show up at the public school to, you know, I have to attract people. I can't just expect that they're going to come because I'm right. in a position. 
Right. And I, and I can really appreciate that. I was in that position myself. You know, when I left, I worked in the hospital setting before I started my private practice in 2011. Um, and that was a hard leap. You know, it was, it, am I going to get clients if I leave a job that I'm, you know, getting paid for? And, you know, that was, that was definitely hard. So I can, I've been there. I appreciate that a lot. I think it's important to remember that if you truly want an organic following and growth and you want engagement and you want people who trust you, you have to have patience. You have to have patience. You have to stay the course. If you're looking for like a quick, a, a quick fix, a quick, like, you know, creating a, a quick Instagram following or social media following, I think I, I'm sure some people can do that. Um, I don't know how effective that is long-term. I, I mean, I'm sure maybe it is. I don't know. But I think you have to have patience and you have to provide the value. People have to learn who you are and then it becomes sort of word of mouth and snowballs from there. Yeah. Or to put it in another way, you have to plant the seeds so they grow into seeds of learning. That, oh, I'm, this is split that. Exactly right. <laughs> no, but that, yeah. I feel like that's a really good, um, I'm like to tooting my own horn here, but like it is you know, it's funny because there's so many like gardening words that are related to growing your social media, right? You have to like yeah. get an organic following. You can't just mm -hmm. like, you know, dump GMOs and they're paid ads. <laughs> ah. um, yeah, oh, that's so good. I like that. So, yeah. so that's really valuable. And it's like, it's, it's interesting because, you know, as I, this is my 60th episode. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's like, the lesson is always the same. Like, give value, you know, be patient, continue to invest. And so that's the kind of the message that I hope people take away is like, there's, yeah, there's no quick, you know, results. It's you investing in your, you know, delivering value to your audience, being kind of like a servant, you know, in a positive yes. way, not a, not a like, yes. you know, but like, uh, yeah, pr trying to provide them something that's going to help them on their journey. And it can help you, right? Like this always helps me mm -hmm. to learn from people like you, but I know I'm also sharing this with my audience. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you don't provide value and you're just a billboard, I mean, it's really going to turn people off. Um, I think, you know, a lot of times I think about when I'm creating a post, I think about what would I want to see? Mm -hmm. Right. If, if I was going on social media, looking for this kind of information, what would I want to see? And um, you don't want to look like everybody else because then they can just go, you know, I don't want to be saying, I don't want the cookie cutter um, information out there. How, what is it that I can say and do and put out there that's different? Um, and so it catches people's attention. But yeah, I mean, you have to be patient. I think if you're talking about educators who are wanting to potentially leave and start something new, you know, maybe you can start the, um, the social media before you leave so that you start getting some traction, you know, before then when you're, before you're really needing the clients or, um, but, but yeah, I think if truthfully time and time again, and everyone, a lot of people who you read to that talk about social media, that it's. It's got to be organic. You have to show up consistently and you have to provide value. Um, and saying go buy my book does not provide value. So, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. even though it probably even, does, but you know, you got to well, build I mean, I think, fast. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think my, I think my book provides value um, and my sales have shown that it's providing value because again, the only way I've marketed my book is through my social media and it's sold like crazy. 
So, um, and, and that's not because of my social media. That's because of word of mouth. That's because people are telling other people about my book. You need to go read this. Um, and so, you know, that, that is, that's organic right there and people finding the value, but, um, oh, there was a point and it just, I was going to say about, uh, the go by my book, but I would never say, oh, but that's what it was. Um, I get DMS a lot where people will ask me, here's my profile, right? I'm a kindergarten teacher and this is my class. And you know, this is what I mean. Will your book be good for me? And I always say, I don't know. I don't know if my book will be good for you. I can tell you what other kindergarten teachers have told me their response was to the book, but, but I can't tell you whether or not it's right for you. Cause I don't know you like, I, you know, but it's funny that I get asked that a lot. And again, I think people respect the fact that I'm not trying to sell them. Mm -hmm. I could easily say, yes, you should 100% go buy my book. It is the best thing you, it will change your teaching career but I don't know that. Right. To be honest, I don't know if this is right for you. Only you can make the decision for yourself. But here's, I can tell you what other people have said about it. Right. It's almost like the anti-sell to, yeah. you know, to sell, which I think is another level to selling, you know? Oh, do you? I've never well, thought I'm just thinking, it that way. No, not, not like you're intentional. Like I'm telling, but it's more yeah. like, like I had someone who wanted to sign up for my course the other day and they said, um, I only want to work with younger kids and you focus on middle high school and college students. Is this good for me? And I was like, I, basically the same thing. I was like, I don't know. I know being around a community of executive function coaches will help. But the reason I did that is because I don't want someone coming in and then being mad that I sold yeah. them this. And then they're like, give me a refund. And now that's taking more time out of my day. And yeah. you know, it's like, I can't focus on what I actually do well. So I think that's a really yeah. good strategy, not a strategy, yeah. but you know, I feel like strategy has a bad connotation yeah. but a good yeah, approach you know yeah. to to you know nurturing your audience and not being like this kind of guru that can't follow through you know it's like well you you should executively decide for yourself <laughs> <laughs> you should executively function decide yeah um i was gonna say something else that i've been very intentional about about my social media which i'm this is not this would not be right for everybody because i when i look at other people with larger followings, um, they don't do this. Uh, but for me, it's really important to me. I believe that my word matters and that my integrity matters. Mm. Therefore, I will never get paid for anything I say on social media. Mm -hmm. So I don't do any affiliations. Mm -hmm. I mean, the amount of messages and emails, DMs that I get from people like, can we collaborate and you put this code and I don't do any of that. Yeah. And I do that on purpose because I want people to trust me that when I say this is amazing, I'm saying it because I truly believe it's amazing, not because I'm getting paid for it. Hmm. Um, so, and I'm, whenever I, whenever I come across something and I do recommend it, um, you know, I always say like, I am not paid to say this. <laughs> like, hmm. I'm saying this because I really believe it. Now, I know a lot of people who do affili affiliations. I don't even know what they're all called. Affiliates. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and I have no judgment about that whatsoever. People need to make money how they need to make money. I just know that for myself, um, I'm more comfortable putting, when I'm putting out into the world something, the only thing, and this is actually something I'm going to add into my bio. I'm going to put in a financial disclosures so people know exactly how I make money. 
Um, I make money off my book, royalty off my book. I make money from my online educational community and I get a salary from my private practice. There it is. And I don't take anything else. Um, Because I I want my, I want my word to mean something. Yeah. That's really powerful. I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. I'll have to think about that because I do, I do sell things as an affiliate for things I really believe in or my team members champion, like this planner is the best. It's helped all my students, you know, but it's interesting. Yeah. It's, it's an, it's a nice, um, but I also, you know, have that disclosure, like, Hey, this is an affiliate sale. Yep. So I think that upfrontness, like, Hey, just so you know, I'm talking about this because I believe in it and I don't Mm -hmm. make like, that's very powerful. Yeah. I think it's important to, for sure, you know, we have to be telling people if we're getting paid for something like this is an affiliate sale. I do get, um, you know, kickback. I recommend so many books. I've had so many other, it's, it's funny, the young influencers have taught me how to do social media. They'll be like, Tara, you should do this. And <laughs> I'm like, okay, because I'm old and I don't know. Um, but, you know, I had one, she said, she kind of looks out for me on social media. She's so sweet. Um, but she said, you recommend so many books, you really should start an Amazon store and people can go and buy it through there. And I was just kind of like, I don't know, like, I guess I could, but I, I never want somebody questioning why I'm saying that this is one of the best books I've ever read. Like, mm-hmm. um, but I, I don't, that's just me. I have no judgment either way. Oh, what I was going to say about that though, is that there are a lot of people who are not forthcoming about saying that something's sponsored or that they're an affiliate, an affiliate sale. Um, that is a problem. That's something that social media people within my field have been talking about quite a bit is that yeah. um, there, we have problems on Facebook a lot with um, people controlling a narrative based on a sale of something. So it's influencing a lot of people to think about a research evidence-based practice in a certain way, but it's being driven by money. So there are some big problems out there, um, at least in my field around that. So, yeah, no, that that's a great point. Yeah. It goes really deep when you're talking about if you, if a researcher is paid to, you know, thumbs up a study on a drug or something Mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, they don't necessarily believe in, but their credentials allow them to authorize it or kind of sign off on it. That's really dangerous. Yeah. So I can see how that could, um, you know, well, grow. even as simple, yeah, yeah, even as simple as products that people, um, you know, in my field would create, and then they pay affiliates who have big followings to share it and delete comments that might say anything negative about that product. This all happens, and it right. happens pretty rampantly. Um, and so, I mean, it's just. It's something we have to look out for. I think it's important that we're all very ethical, as ethical as we mm-hmm. can be on social media, um, yeah. because it does it, it does make an impact. Um, and the amount of misinformation that's shared on social media is also frightening, um, which is one reason that I, I don't really spend a ton of time. Like when I'm on social media, I'm on my page, commenting on my things and my DMs, and that's pretty much pretty much it but people will send send me dms like what do you think about this and i'll be like that is a poor analysis of that research study it's not right <laughs> like but i'm not going to go out there as the police i don't have time for that yeah but we have to no. be careful we have to we have to do our own research on what we read on social media i tell for people sure. go fa- yeah go fact check my stuff yeah 
Go well, back. you know, it's really funny because I, I, I'm a Redditor and I was, oh, I was looking at Reddit <laughs> yesterday and um, it, there, there was a one that said, what obsession do people have that's bad for them? You know, and it was like asking all of Reddit. And I was like, what? I wonder what it is. So I clicked on it and it, the top voted comment was the 24 hour news cycle. But I think it's also social media, right? Like 24 hours engaging, always checking. And then there was this quote below it, it by, and it was by uh, Denzel Washington, I believe it said, um, the problem with news is if you, if you don't read it, you're, you're, um, not informed, but if you do read it, you're misinformed, you know, mm. and not, not all news, of course, there's some really great, clear news out there. You know, that's you know, NPR shout out to NPR. Um, yeah. Yeah. but, but you know, it's like with social media, right? If you're, if you don't engage, you're out of the loop, but if you do engage, you're kind of in a loop that might not be truthful, like you're saying, or there might be some kind of a lot of, you know, people who are promoting things without disclosing it, or, you know, it's like telling you to buy this supplement or this uh, mushroom coffee, you know, but it's not necessarily the best thing for you. And that's why problem solving is so important. I talk to my, my teenage daughters about this all the time. They'll bring me TikTok, you know, they love TikTok and yeah, I, I don't do TikTok. Um, but, you know, they'll say, mom, look at this video I saw. It says that like this, this, this is happening. And I know right off the bat, it's not true, but they don't know that. And so we talk about, okay, how do we problem solve this? How do we fact check this? So I've taught mm-hmm. my daughters that when they see something like that, you know, where do we go? Now, obviously we know Google is going to pop up what we want to see. So, you know, how do we comb through different sources to figure out what's true? What are some of the, um, you know, what are some of the trusted sites that we can go to to fact check things? But fact checking just has to be part of our life because anybody can say anything on social media. Mm -hmm. Um, So it really, you know, we do have to take the power of knowledge into our own hands, fact check it um, before we disseminate, spread it. What right. But I just want everyone to know the earth is flat. No, I'm, yeah. I'm just <laughs> uh, I learned it on night. social media. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just know, kidding. It's not know. flat. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, that's, that's really yeah. powerful. That's, that's a huge, um, a really yeah, beautiful really skill important. to teach your kids. You know, is that, yeah. Like, okay. Yes. It was said here, but you need to actually look at some research. Like there's a thing called peer review. Yeah. You know, there's journals of different, you know, yep. like, how do you well, access information correctly? And if we circle this back, if we pull our conversation full circle, <laughs> right back to what you asked me at the very beginning about bombarding people with information on social media, we've pulled it right back to the fact that we are bombarded with information. And so right. therefore, for the really probably the first time in a lot of humanity, we have to now take this information and filter it. And we have to fact check it. And it it is a responsibility, I believe, as a part of society that I do that, that I don't just take something I see at face value. I feel it's my own personal responsibility to say, oh, that's interesting. Let me go do some of my own reading and my own searching to see if this is actually true. Are there other sides to this coin? Um, I always tell my daughters, you know, if you have, and, and my clients too, you know, if we have two points of view, Neither of them are right. The answer is probably somewhere in the middle. And so it's the same with research. You can find research that says, you know, the sky is blue and the sky is red. And then you're going to find out it's whatever. I'm giving an example. But 
you know, you can find research on either side of most topics too. Um, you can find one study that was just done totally differently and gets a different result than something else. So again, everything has to be filtered and we have to, it's, I really see it as a responsibility of all of us to um, filter through the information that we're seeing every day. And that takes time. Yeah. And it just made me think about like, here, I'll use another a gardening term, um, which is you have to disseminate <laughs> You see, mm -hmm. the seed outward information to the best of your ability. That's true, you know, and you can't go wrong with your own experience. Right. But, but right. You know, if, you're, if you're spreading, you know, like some type of medically or scientific based information, you know, you as you know, with your training and background, you've learned how to comb through things to evaluate sources and make, you know, you're doing your best Obviously, there's always going to be a little room for error in anything, but you're Absolutely. Doing to bring the best of your expertise to your audience. And that's probably a great, you know, place to start from if you're trying to grow your social media following is what are you an expert in because of your past experiences, education, training, all that, that you can kind of comb through everything and be like, look, I can tell you that this is going to be more valuable than this or like. So that's, mm -hmm. yeah, I think that's a really, it's really interesting to come full circle with that and really realize like, yeah, not professing expertise in something that you don't necessarily know a lot about. Oh, a yeah. Bad way, a bad way to grow oh. your following. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm the first to say I'm really good at one thing. <laughs> you know, we talked about yeah. it earlier too. I'm really, really good at one thing. Um, but we get referrals, you know, people, our name is known in this area for being great therapy providers. So we get calls for stuff all the time. And sometimes it's not appropriate to what our specialty is. And so I'll say, you know, what? I know somebody way better than me at yeah. AAC or at voice therapy or vocal dysfunction, whatever. You know, we're great at XYZ, but here, go see them. Um, because they're better. It is really important to know, to be able to filter through and, and know what you're good at. Um, and don't try to be a master of everything. Cause yeah, it just ends up, um, kind of, it falls flat. You know, I think mm -hmm. in people makes it maybe hard for people to trust, um, yeah. trust your information. Mm -hmm. So I know we could go on for hours. Um, <laughs> we probably could. That's obvious. Uh, yeah. but you know, First off, I just want to thank you so much for, for being willing to come on to the show to educate me and my audience. Um, I feel like it's been a really, I, I'm really just happy about this, this conversation. I feel like I've learned a lot. Um, if people want to connect with you, um, I know if you're watching this live um, or if you're watching the video of this following on one of the Facebook groups or my LinkedIn, you know, you can see Tara's um, handle there. It's at Tara Sumter underscore SLP. I'll definitely be putting that in the show notes. But, you know, how can people connect with you, Tara, if they want to kind of learn more about what you're offering? Sure. So um, Instagram is probably the best way. That's where I'm the most active. Um, I do have a Facebook page. I'm not too awfully active. It's the Seeds of Learning uh, or Seeds of Learning, Seeds of Learning LLC, I think, on, on, on Facebook. Um, you can check out my website, so tarasumpter.com. And that has information to everything, everything from my presentations to um, our private practice, our clinic. Um, and then in terms of if you're looking for more information about what I do, I do have uh, my book called The Seeds of Learning. It's on Amazon. 
Um, there's a link to that in my bio and Instagram. And then also where the, where the goodies are of what I do is in our, is in my online educational network, which is on mighty networks. And in there, there's seven modules of self-study material that covers everything from perception of the executive functioning system, all the way to higher level skills, like planning, organization, decision-making, all of that prioritizing and everything in between inhibiting, self-modulating all of it. Um, we have probably 80 to 90 hours uh, stored recordings of office hours in there. Lots of resources um, for assessment and for therapy. Anything that I develop and create, I plop it in the network and members have access to all of it at no additional cost. So you're in there as a member and anything. Um, so that's really the best. That's the best place to go. I am running a second cohort in there. I almost forgot to mention this. Um, we did a cohort the first time back in the fall. And people loved it. So we decided to bring it back again this spring. It's going to be six weeks beginning, beginning February 27th. And that's taking place in the educational community. Um, and that is, hold on. My team just changed the, it's community.terrasumter.com. Okay. So that's community. the website for community.terrasumter.com. Um, and tell me a little bit more about that cohort. Like what, um, is it like weekly meetings or what, what does it include? So the cohort is, so we took it, we took, it was eight weeks before and we found that that would seem to be a little bit overwhelming for people. So we've kind of condensed it into six weeks. Again, there's so much material that we, it would be nearly impossible to get it um, less than six weeks, but what it entails is we're doing a, a module. So, which would be one cluster of the executive functioning system at a time. So for example, we'll start with the initial cluster of executive functioning skills, which is perception, focus, sustained attention. And there's about an average, about an hour worth of reading material, self-study material and videos. And then every week we have an office hour where we'll get on live together. And um, when we do the cohort, the office hours, I tend to do it a little bit more presentation style. People really like that. So um, I'll do kind of a presentation style with slides and everything for that module. And then everyone can ask questions. Then the next week we move on to another module. So the next module would be working memory, which is one of my favorite topics. I could, I could just do working memory all day, every day. It's just so fascinating. So we talk about verbal working memory, nonverbal working memory, um, and, and we talk about assessment and treatment. So the treatment's a huge part of it. How do we address these? Um, Cause that's what we need to know. We need to know how to help our kiddos. So we work through each module um all the way up through the higher level executive executive functioning skills with the office hour each week and then the best part is that you know everybody learns the material we talk about it they go they try it and then they come back and they'll bring the questions i tried this it didn't work great what do i need to tweak what do i and that was why i created the community um i had had so many offers over the years to do you know can you do a class here and this kind of thing but I wanted to create an environment where we could learn together and the learning was ongoing. You can't just watch one video and learn about all you need to know for executive functioning. You, there's trial and error involved and, and mentorship that I believe needs to be part of the learning process. Um, and so that's really what the community does. It provides that mentorship. We have a feed, you know, it's like a, um, like a social media feed within the community where people post their questions I go in and answer. I have other people who help support that process of answering questions and guiding to information. So it's just a really 
wonderful network of people. There's roughly about 500 professionals from over 20 different countries in there. So it's, um, it's really, I mean, you know, an SLP or a teacher from Portugal was like, this is how I'm implementing it in my classroom. And I'm over here like, oh my gosh, it's, it's so, so cool to see it happen. Um, you know, reaching a lot of people, but it really, the community feel of it, you, you're getting lots of ideas um, and a lot of people to support the learning process. Yeah. So it's pretty, it's pretty that good. Sounds amazing. The, yeah. Sounds like my you. dream community right there. No. Well. Yeah. Like it's, it's, to be. It really is. I mean, I've had a lot of projects and a lot of things I've done over the years in my career. And I would say this network, this community is probably one of the things I'm the most proud of. It's just, um, it's really a special place. And, um, you know, these people I feel like are my friends. Mm -hmm. <laughs> We've all become friends over the time that everyone's been in there. So it's been great. Yeah, And are. you can come and go. You can cancel. I mean, you can leave anytime. Yeah. So you could stay in for a month. You could stay in for just the cohort and then be done. Um, yeah. There are no hurt feelings when people leave. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's kind of a revolving door. But there's some staple people who've been in there a long time who also help support the community, which is awesome. Yeah, that's wonderful. So definitely yeah. check that out. Um, and yeah, I look forward to learning more about that for my for myself to develop my own. Yeah. Oh, that would be so fun to have yeah. you in there. You would love it. Yes, I and would. We don't. And we don't have a lot of guys, so that's always fun. There There's a, there are, yeah, we have one guy who's really, really active. His name is yeah. Nick. He's amazing, and I love him. Um, he comes to most of our office hours, and then there's a couple other couple other guys that kind of hang out in the wings and read and comment from time to time. But Nick's mm -hmm. always active on our office hours, which is fun. So yeah, I'm always like, where are the dudes? Come on. Yeah, no, <laughs> dudes need executive function too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, I just want to thank you again. Um, thank you. And, you know, for every, everybody listening out there, um, thank you for reaching episode 60 of Earn More Tutoring with us. It's been a blast. This is Tara was the perfect guest to have on for this episode. If you do want to enjoy more episodes of Earn More Tutoring, if you're enjoying this, definitely follow on your podcast subscription of choice. Um, if you check the show notes, there's also some links to our Facebook community, um, online courses, different things like that. And then my number one thing I'm asking people to do is please just leave a review. If you enjoyed this episode, give your feedback or if you've been enjoying episodes, I know we got some downloads out there. And so make sure you leave that review. It really helps people learn more about this show so they can earn more tutoring or earn more growing their education practices. So thank you again, Tara. And I hope thank you have a great you. Rest of the week. Yeah. Thanks, you two. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate you inviting me on. So this was a lot of fun. Absolutely.